This is The Blunt Doctor Show On a Thursday And It's a complicated Thursday for me Because I've spent the last like 10 days Trying and failing To come in here and Get to the microphone You guys know how I am I set out to do this thing And when I said I was going to start the show I said I'm going to do it 5 days a week one hour a day, blah, blah, blah. We all knew that was bullshit because we all know that I set all kinds of goals that are impossible. Nonetheless, I have created a show. We've created something here. I say we because that involves those of you, all three of you who are continuing to listen. And thus, it is an incredible day that we return for the 31st episode after the NBA All-Star break. And I essentially just decided, I mean, I basically took an All-Star break myself. And as an All-Star podcaster, I think I am able to do that. And I think it is very acceptable for me to do that. And maybe I'll do it in the future. And you can't fucking stop me because it's my show and I do what I want, which is always the theme. Nonetheless, after 10 days off, I've obviously been sitting here thinking about a lot of things. NBA All-Star, all of that going on. And it occurs to me that I should cover one topic that I covered before that I think I covered it in like my first 10 episodes, I don't know, but an important thing for everyone because it's something that I struggle with all the time and that is that okay number one again I sit here and it is my goal every day essentially when I wake up to record a podcast and most days I'm incapable of doing that for whatever reason right depression struggling with something else going on in my life recently I've been dealing with something relating to a hip surgery I had when I was a child two hip surgeries I had when I was a child actually that have now been fucking up my day-to-day life and have been making me focus on different things and all these things. So when you, as a person, go through something, depression, physical anguish, whatever, I think we all get really tempted to be defined by those things. And I say we, that's how I feel. Like I get really tempted to be defined by the things that I do wrong or the things that ail me or the things that make me feel like I am less than. And it frustrates the hell out of me because like some days I don't even want to get out of bed because of how, uh, you know, I, I don't know, for lack of a better term, it's self-loathing. And that's how I feel on some of these days and I don't even want to wake up. But I think the biggest thing that anyone can remember when you're feeling like this, whether it's me, anyone else, is that again, how you respond to these things is what defines you. No one remembers... When you get, you know, knocked down, everyone remembers when you get up and what happens then. And I think that's the most important thing is that we're all defined by how we respond to the things that ail us. And I, I've said this before, but it's something I want to mention again, because it's something I take to heart all the time is that making a mistake or doing something stupid or doing something wrong or failing to record for 10 days or whatever it may be, we all have things that crush us. And the most important thing that you can ever do in those situations is respond harder than you faltered. But the only person who can choose to do that is you. And I'm not trying to be some sort of motivational speaker or something, but it's something that I want to put out there because it's something that I struggle with all the time because I come in here to record and I turn the microphones on and I feel nothing and nothing comes to mind and there are no words and I don't know how to handle that. 
And sometimes I just wish that there was someone out there who understood what that felt like. And what I realize is that there is, there are plenty of people who understand what that feel like, because we all go through something like that all the time. So my thought is simply this, if I can never reach anyone and make one person's mind better or make one person feel better, then it's worth it for me. So again, don't let being knocked down define you. Let standing up define you. Boxers do it all the time, and it seems like a really cliched, simplistic thing, but it's really the truth, because every single person goes through something. We get really sort of, well, I haven't been through what this person has been through, so my pain isn't difficult, my trauma isn't real. People will get depressed over feeling like they shouldn't be depressed about what they're depressed about. It's There's so much complexity to the human condition, and the simplest answer to all of those questions is that when you feel you have failed or faltered or done something wrong, responding harder and doing your best to live well is the best response. And maybe that's simplistic, but it's the way that I live and it's the way that I approach this podcast. When I have a lapse in mental judgment that requires me to take 10 days off between recording, I'm going to come back and fire with the best podcast that I can. God damn it. And maybe that's simple, but it works for me. And on that note, there are a few things that I want to talk about that I think are important outside of the sports world. Okay, really one thing outside of the sports world. And this was before, this was something I was going to talk about last week, but the uh, minimum wage portion of the 1.9 trillion stimulus package was removed so that we could satisfy Joe Manchin, essentially, the Republican masquerading as a Democrat who is in West Virginia. And I'm just really curious at this point if liberals and Republicans alike actually understand how money works. I'm very curious if they understand that, because I'm going to go ahead and illustrate it for you. You have a whole bunch of people in this country who don't actually have enough money to live. We have one of the highest poverty rates ever. Everyone who is an adult needs to live with a roommate because they simply can't afford to live because wages have not risen with cost of living. Anyone who actually looks at the numbers can see very plainly that a seven twenty-five national national minimum wage is bullshit. And anyone who would argue that is full of shit. And anyone who would say differently is full of shit. The simple fact of the matter is, is that wages have not risen with cost of living. And it creates a situation where people need money. Do you know why people needed money during the pandemic? Do you know why people were needed to give in, were needed? See what happens when I drink and podcast. Do you know why people needed bridge liquidity during the pandemic? The people needed the bridge liquidity that they wanted to provide us because we simply don't make enough money. If our wages actually matched the labor that we put in, then people might be able to save this theoretical amount of money that we were supposed to have going into a pandemic. But the simple fact of the matter is that you're supposed to somehow slave for 20 years until you reach age 40, and then you might theoretically be able to actually earn enough money to take care of your family. People think that raising a minimum wage will help a small, will hurt a small business, and it won't help people. But I'm just really curious where people think that money goes. When you raise the minimum wage. Where do you think that money goes? It gets spent. 
Spending money is good for the economy. Giving people money to spend on their rent, giving people money to spend on food and disposable things is good for the economy. That's why the economy didn't falter when the government was giving us money despite the fact that we weren't earning it. The simple fact of the matter is that solving economic problems is based on universal basic income. If every single person has money to spend, they will spend it. Therefore, businesses will survive. It's been proven to work over and over. And yet this country is run by morons who don't actually look at what occurs. They look at what sort of arguments they can construct to the dumbass people in their district. If you go look at every single place on this planet where universal basic income has been used, it works everywhere. It works everywhere. And it doesn't hurt the employment rate because guess what? I don't care how much money I'm making at work. If I have a regular stream of income at home, it's easier for me to do a job if that job is less stressful to me because it's not the only way that I earn money. The simple fact of the matter is, is that people always spend money unless they're rich. The only people who actually hurt the economy by receiving too much money are rich people who hoard money. Hoarding money is horrendous for the economy, and yet we let those people continue to do it because we don't tax them. And so when you have a simple solution to this problem, people don't want to give universal basic income in this country. People don't want to tax the billionaires in this country. You have a simple solution. Raise the minimum wage. Give people a better wage for the work that they do, because that's fair. And our government still won't do it. And I'm starting to reach a point where I simply don't understand anymore, because what level of propaganda does it take to make people think that people working don't actually deserve money? I literally can't even comprehend that idea. I have had a very long career across many different industries. I worked at Subway. I worked at UPS unloading trucks and loading trucks. I worked as a revenue auditor at UPS, auditing packages that were shipped through. I've worked as a network engineer. Okay, I've worked a ton of different places. And I can tell you unfucking equivocally that the hardest job I ever actually had was working at UPS. Loading and unloading packages is infinitely harder than anything I ever did as a network engineer. And so this idea of unskilled labor, it's all bullshit, all designed to make people feel less than so that they will accept these bullshit jobs with bullshit wages, no insurance, whatever, you're nothing, you don't matter, we can just replace you. While people who don't actually work, who sit in offices and do nothing, somehow collect 85, 100, 200 times the wages. This is the effect of propaganda. And that you still have democratic people, liberal people, claiming that we shouldn't have a higher minimum wage. I cannot even begin to comprehend that. And this is really the problem. This is why vote blue no matter who doesn't actually make sense. Because vote blue no matter who includes a guy like Joe Manchin who doesn't actually believe in anything on the left. He simply believes in whatever the Democratic Party was 70 years ago when the Democratic Party was focused on unions and had nothing to do with any sort of social policy. These people are out of touch. They're out of time. They're from another era. And we continue to let them make decisions for us. The simple fact of the matter is, the more money distributed to the people in this country, the more money that would be spent, it would be good for our economy. But somehow, 
So many people have been tricked into the idea that people having all of the money, like eight people or 300 people or whatever metric you want to choose to choose whatever percent you describe as the top percent that's trying to screw us, they still have all of the money and we have none of it. And there are simple solutions. You could tax those people, but we won't do it because we don't want to upset our corporate donors. We could raise the minimum wage, but we don't want to do that because we don't want to upset small businesses. We don't want to make them actually pay a living wage and not be able to take advantages of their workers by saying we're a family and forcing them to do things that they shouldn't. And we most certainly don't want to distribute universal basic income because that makes us look socialist and socialism is evil. Why is socialism evil? Well, because it's related to communism. And why is communism evil? Oh, I don't know. Something to do with Russia. Socialism literally means taking care of the people around you. That's not bad. And I don't care what anyone thinks about that. And I don't care what anyone says about that. Taking care of the people around you is a good thing. A person deserves to be cared for regardless of where they were born or what nationality is on their passport. A person who is lying in front of you bleeding in the street deserves hospital care. A person who is dying of cancer deserves hospital care. And where they are from or where they are born or what stamp is on their passport simply does not matter. And people who are incapable of understanding this are fucking inhumane. And that's all it is. We, socialists, want basic human rights for the people around us. I want a fair wage for the people that I care about. I want corporations to stop polluting all the goddamn time and at least focus somewhat on creating a greener environment for all of us. Marijuana should be legalized and people who are in jail for marijuana offenses should be let go. ICE should be abolished because it's simply not illegal to be a person from another country. We have to change the way we think about everything because every single policy that you sit here and defend as a liberal or a Republican is based in hatred. Base your thoughts in love and it will change the way you think about everything. Every single person around you deserves to be cared for. If I was in vacationing in China and someone shot me. I would really hope that they would take me to the hospital and care for me. And there are literally people in this country who don't want that for someone who's an illegal immigrant. That's how hateful we are. We hope that people who aren't like us will die. That's America. And that's not an America I want to live in or participate in. I look to Nevada now, where they kicked out all of the centrist liberal bullshit Democrats and replaced them with DSA people. I look to that as the next level. Because, quite frankly, the future of the world is doing everything we can to help each other. Because if we don't, we're going to burn this planet to death. We're all going to die. And you won't be able to tell your kids how you were with her. <sighs> Learn to care about something that actually fucking matters beyond a cause that makes you look good on television. Learn to actually care about the people around you. Learn to actually participate. Think globally, act locally. It's very simple. Run for local office. Get Republicans out. We need to remove all of the gerrymandering that occurs at a local level. It must be removed. And the simplest way to do that is run for local office. You, the person listening to this, run. Get your friends in other cities to run. We must remove all right-wing influence from everything. The primary problem with Democrats right now is that there are so many former Republicans in the party. There are so many former Republicans in the party who are shaping Democratic policy, 
And there are Democrats who simply don't realize this and don't understand or see the influence of former Reagan Republicans telling them, no, no, you need to go to the center. That's not how this shit works. There needs to be an opposition party. And right now what we have is a right-wing party and a center right-wing party. And we need to do the best that we can to change all of that as much as possible. We need to have as much leftist policy. It's not that every single thing that a leftist thinks is right about everything. But seven twenty-five can't be the minimum wage. And if you tell me that twenty-five can't be the minimum wage, then surely fifteen is a compromise. Because if we sit here and say fifteen dollar minimum wage, they want to go to ten or twelve. You have to have an extreme negotiating policy because that's what Republicans do. Republicans are on the right and they'll say, we don't want to give any stimulus package. We don't want to give any money. We don't want to help anyone at all. Well, then you better have a goddamn extreme negotiating position on the other side to meet them in the middle. And that's the fucking point the Democrats have lost. They sit here and say, well, we want to just be in the middle and everyone will agree with us. No, you go to the middle and then they pull you further to the right. We Democrats should be on the goddamn left Move to the left and make them come to the center. And if you really want to compromise, that's actually how you get compromise done. It's that simple. If you try to negotiate from the middle, you lose. If you try to negotiate from an extreme position, suddenly you actually find yourself getting things you want in the middle. It's that simple. Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi don't understand that because they're 8,000 years old. Look at New Zealand. A literal fucking paradise with a young leader... Jacinda Ardern is like 40 years old, and she is the greatest leader in the world. We really should not be letting every single thing that occurs in this country be decided by people who are north of fucking 70 years old. The All-Star Weekend occurred. <laughs> Talk about that for a transition, huh? Listen, I don't really understand why we do the All-Star Weekend. Okay, like, really, I don't understand why we do this. What is the point? Like, really, what is the point of All-Star Weekend? Like, truthfully, like, who is watching? I have never cared about All-Star Weekend. It has never been a thing that matters to me. I don't care. The only All-Star game I cared about was last year. Kobe Bryant passed away. We set up the Elam ending. It made for a really exciting ending to the game. And then, you know, there was a lot more to that. And it had a lot to do with Kobe being gone, right? Like, so... I just don't really know who cares about the All-Star game. And, you know, the f there's no people there. Why are you doing it? You know, I was listening to the mismatch with Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon. And one thing that Kevin O'Connor pointed out is, like, they had a dunk contest with no fans. What is the point of that? Like, literally the entire point of a dunk contest is the reaction of the people, right? Like, why are you participating in a dunk contest if there's not people being like, oh, shit, son, what a dunk. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's literally the whole point. Like... Uh, it makes no sense. And, but the thing is, it's like, even if you like year to year, like who cares? Like they choose random people for the dunk contest. They're choosing the most random of dudes here. Here's my thought about all of this. Let's abandon the yearly NBA all-star stuff. It's dumb. We don't need it. Okay. Just like we don't need NBA 2k and NBA 2k 21 and NBA 2k 22. We don't need a fucking game every year. Let's just abandon the yearly all-star stuff. What about every three years? Tell me that an all-star game is not more interesting to you if you haven't seen one in a couple of seasons. Tell me that a three-point three contest isn't more interesting to you if you haven't seen one in a couple of seasons. Tell me that a dunk contest isn't more interesting to you if you haven't seen one in a couple of seasons. And here's the point. The top guys don't want to participate in any of these things. They occur every year. Maybe I'll do it next year. I don't care. What if you knew 
that throughout your entire career, there were only going to be four all-star weekends or five, you know, whatever the case may be. And you might only get one chance to participate in a dunk contest or one chance to participate in a three-point shootout. You're probably going to get better players showing up for those things. They're probably going to participate because it's something that actually matters. When you do something constantly, it literally means less. And having an all-star game every year where every single year we basically suit a bunch of guys up and no one plays defense and they just run back and forth, it doesn't matter. The only year, again, that mattered last year was with the Elam ending because they made them play defense because we set a final score. And that's why I've advocated for the NBA taking over with the Elam ending. It should, all basketball should be played with the Elam ending, in my opinion, okay? It's a better way to end games. It would be a better way to end the All-Star game. I would absolutely watch more All-Star games with that. But even if you had the Elam ending every year, what is the point of All-Star basketball? When the All-Star game was originally created, we're talking about like the 60s, right? When people weren't able to watch other teams. So the All-Star game was created as an event where people could come and see guys from other teams that they had never seen before. You know, if the All-Star game is in New York and you've never seen the California teams because you've never been out there, it's easier for you to go to the All-Star game. That's why it was created. But like now every single play that matters is a highlight on Twitter within a minute. We know all the teams. We know everything that's going on. The kids who are involved in NBA fandom now know advanced stats in a way that I didn't even know anything about until my mid-20s. So... The game is different. The setup is different. And having an all-star game every year where we put on this whole event and, you know, blah, blah, whatever. It's essentially just a large party event for media and players. And if, if truthfully, if that's really all it is, if all we want to do is have a large party event for media and players, then let's just do that. Damian Lillard rapped at All-Star Weekend a couple years ago. Let's just focus on that. Let's have Damian Lillard rap. Let's have Marvin Bagley rap. Let's bring back Shaq to rap, whatever. Let's just do the party thing. What is the point of playing an exhibition game that legitimately nobody cares about? I like heard a podcast the other day. They were trying to argue about like who should have won all-star game MVP. Well, Giannis was 16 of 16. He didn't miss a single shot, but no one's playing defense at the rim in the all-star game. Well, Steph Curry should have won MVP because of who fucking cares. It literally means nothing. It is astounding to me. In fact, I have spent like six minutes talking about this. And that in and of itself is astounding to me because no one cares. Just honestly, it's not a big deal. It doesn't mean anything. Let's move on. Let's just move on from the all-star thing. Okay. Let's just, let's move on from it as an idea. Really. Here's something I'm not going to move on from as an idea. And I don't really give a shit what anyone says. I'm going to be given flack from this from a few people that I know. They're going to argue with me. I don't care because they're wrong. Chris Paul should be in the MVP discussion. Okay? I'm not saying that Chris Paul should necessarily lead the MVP vote. I'm not saying that he should be ahead of Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic and LeBron. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that Chris Paul should be in the discussion for MVP. Let's remember that MVP is a top five ballot, right? You vote for your top five guys in order. Chris Paul deserves to be in the discussion of the top five guys. Look at what has gone on in Phoenix. For a decade, this team has toiled in obscurity as an absolute nothing franchise that everyone laughed at and wouldn't even prepare for. Even when we drafted Devin Booker and he was rising to the level of scoring superstar, even when that was occurring, no one took Phoenix seriously. For years, for a fucking decade, 
No one took Phoenix seriously, and basically rightfully so, because it was a garbage franchise owned by a piece of shit guy who didn't give a shit. Now that has changed. But what really changed? Yes, Robert Sarver actually started to show up as an owner, right? He actually started to give a shit about caring about this organization. He paid for a new practice facility. He helped foot the bill for, you know, arena upgrades. Everyone got mad that the city of Phoenix had to pay for some of those arena upgrades, but we own that arena. We as taxpayers own that arena. The money from concerts, it comes to us as taxpayers. The money from events, it comes to us as taxpayers. Okay? The Suns manage it for free. We should have footed part of the bill for that. And the Suns still did it. That's one of the first times that he's actually spent money he didn't have to spend. And not only that, but he built a practice arena on his own dime. I fucking hate billionaires. Robert Sarver's actually not a billionaire. I hate rich guys, but if we're just going to sit here and talk about NBA managing partners doing their job, Sarver has finally actually stepped up to the plate and done it in a way that other guys won't. And then what did he do now? He acquired Chris Paul. The all-pro, all-star, all-legend point guard, one of the best, if not the best point guard of all time. I'll get argued for saying that, but if you're just talking about pure point guard, who is the actual best point guard in the history of the NBA, Chris Paul deserves to be in that discussion. And everyone talked about how he was too old. They didn't watch last season in Oklahoma City, obviously, but everyone talked about he's too old. He can't do this. He can't do that. Well, look what's going on. Phoenix is one of the best teams in the NBA. And that is occurring because of Chris Paul. Phoenix ran all last season, up and down the court, just one of the highest paces in the league. And now this is a half-court team. Walking the ball up the court, getting into sets, whipping the ball around to find an open corner three. This is a different team. And Chris Paul has put his imprint over all of them. Now, let me ask you a question. What is MVP? Right, We get into this argument every single year because there are people who simply say MVP is the best player in the league. LeBron James should win the MVP every year. And if you were to simply tell me that MVP is just the purely best, most talented, most skilled player in the league, then yes, LeBron deserves to win every year. Even if he takes regular seasons off, even if he doesn't play with the ferocity, especially on defense, that he should in regular season, we all know that when it comes down to the playoffs, if LeBron is on the other side, the rest of us are running scared. That's how it fucking goes. It's been proven over and over. Okay? So, if MVP is simply best, then it's LeBron every year. But that is not what we've settled on, right? What we have settled on is that MVP is the player who has the most indispensable season that year. MVP is the player who means the most to their team that year, who provides the most upside, who that team would crater the most without. That's what we have decided MVP is, because the simple fact of the matter is that MVP is a regular season award. And for all the people who want to sit here, well, the playoffs this and look at what they do that in championships, MVP is a regular season award. If you would like to change the parameters of most valuable player and say that it should include the playoffs, I'm actually for that. I'm fine with that. I would really be fine if MVP was awarded at the end of the playoffs, but that's why they have finals MVP. And that's kind of the point. The NBA wants a regular season award and therefore the MVP should go to the player who makes the most impact in the regular season. And I am asking you to look at Chris Paul. And I'm going to tell you why. Number one, I understand that the counting stats don't reach the level of MVP. But 
I am a person who sat here and listened to Kevin Arnovitz and Zach Lowe and the mismatch and everyone else say that Mike Conley deserved to be an all-star because of his advanced numbers and that the fact that his playing time being tied to Rudy Gobert didn't actually matter, but his advanced stats indicated that he was one of the best players in the league and therefore he should be an all-star. Now that was infuriating to me, but the implication was that he should be an all-star over Chris Paul. Well, let's actually take a look at that because Chris Paul came to a team with a losing record last year that did not make the playoffs and they are now the second best team in the league. Yes, behind Mike Conley's Jazz, fair. But Mike Conley's Jazz were a very good team last year who are on their second year of growing chemistry together. So they have a significant advantage in this scenario. And not to mention, the Jazz always have a really good run in the regular season. They lost three of the four going into the All-Star break. You think their tank is coming? Because I do. Because that's what always happens with Utah. This season, they flipped it. Normally, they play really poorly, and then they go on a hot run. This year, they went on the hot run. Now, they're going to play poorly. The Jazz are always where they are. They're a decent team. The Suns were garbage for a decade. I hate to admit that about my team, but it's true. We were garbage for a decade. We acquired Chris Paul, and now we're second in the league, and you're trying to tell me that this man doesn't belong in the discussion? Yes, he does. Especially if you're going to sit here and tell me that Rudy Gobert's counting stats don't matter and Mike Conley's counting stats don't matter. Those guys are all-stars because of their winning. Ben Simmons' counting stats don't matter. He's an all-star. Ben Simmons should be in defensive player of the year discussion, blah, 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 blah. So if all of those things are occurring, then why isn't the guy who literally turned around a moribund franchise that was nothing for a decade, why is that guy not in the discussion? I'll tell you why he's not in the discussion, because the national media doesn't fucking pay attention, because they don't watch Suns games. I don't blame them. It was a drag to watch for a decade. But you should also recognize that you're not paying attention when the second best team in the Western Conference doesn't have an MVP candidate in your mind. Are you serious? Well, they're just a really good team, a really good collection of good players. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? For years, all I had to hear was how this team was garbage and no one could do this, that, and the other, and everyone was below average. Now we're just a collection of really above average players. It's bullshit. And if Devin Booker, who is literally the best fucking two guard in the league, who can score from everywhere, who is goddamn Kobe Bryant, excuse me, oh, I'm sorry, he actually has better shooting percentages than Kobe Bryant, if that man is not a fucking MVP candidate, which he absolutely goddamn should be, then the man who turned the franchise around should be. If Devin Booker is the engine, then Chris Paul is behind the wheel. Okay? That's how this shit works. And DeAndre Ayton is the frame. I don't know. The point is, how are two of the best players on the second best team in the NBA? By the way, not just the second best team in the Western Conference, the second best team in the NBA. The number two record in the NBA, and we don't have a most valuable player candidate. This is bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. It's garbage. And I don't want to hear it. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that people who talk about the Suns don't pay attention because you watch them. And they're like, well, Cam Johnson, that was a terrible pick. You literally, you haven't watched? Cam Johnson's been phenomenal. He's been way better than Jarrett Culver. The Suns were destroyed for not drafting Jarrett Culver. They draft, they traded back, drafted Cameron Johnson and acquired Dario Saric. And by the way, when that happened, I was like, hell yeah, I love Dario Saric as a player. I also love the idea of getting another draft pick on top of getting Dario Saric because I don't know how Jarrett Culver is going to fit in the NBA. Well, guess what? Jarrett Culver sucks and Cam Johnson has been a perfect role player. So they were murdered for doing that, and it was a home run. 
They were murdered for taking Jalen Smith this year, fine, but he's been injured, whatever. They were murdered for taking DeAndre Ayton over Luka Doncic. Well, guess what? DeAndre Ayton is 8-1 against Luka Doncic. So for all this bullshit about, well, Luka's the future of the NBA, and Luka's this, and Luka's that, blah, 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 blah. That's all great. DeAndre Ayton whoops his ass every time they play. And by the way, go ahead and have a look at the film when Luka tries to score on DeAndre. Because Luka is clearly mad that DeAndre was taken number one overall over him. It bothers him. And every single time he tries to score on DeAndre, his ass goes nowhere. Ayton is aware of that shit. And he uses that 7-5 wingspan and he shuts that motherfucker down. And I'm going to tell you something. If Luka Doncic wins all the MVPs in the world and blah, blah, et cetera, whatever, but DeAndre Ayton always shuts his ass down in the playoffs and my team is the one in the finals, then fuck Luka Doncic. The Suns get no respect and I'm getting tired of it. I have, I'm so tired of this. I'm tired of watching every single play that this team has and then being told that I don't actually understand what's going on. I'm actually sort of glad that people don't realize how good Mikhail Bridges is because it's going to keep his free agency money down. If someone was smart, they'd be offering Mikhail Bridges a max contract because he could be one of the best players in the league. But they're not. They're dumb. And so he's going to get a reasonable contract from Phoenix. Good. What Phoenix has going on right now is camaraderie, is chemistry, is a group of guys who actually love playing together in a way that they haven't had, honestly, since the Nash and Amari years. This team is for real, and anyone who is choosing to ignore that, anyone who is choosing to just say, oh, no, oh, it's not real, it's blah, 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 you're a fucking failure. You're not paying attention. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. When this team wins the title, you are not going to see anyone drunk or high at the parade like you're going to see me. I will be fucked up and ready to go. All right, let's talk about some bets. I had started um, an NBA bets thread on Twitter before the All-Star break, and I honestly actually forgot to update it heading into uh, last night's games because, you know, took the All-Star break and everything. But I was 2-1 heading into that, essentially just picking one lock pick per day. I was 2-1 heading into that. Last night, I took the Spurs-Mavs under 227. You know, my essential logic for that one was your first game coming off the All-Star break, you're probably going to start with you know, a burst of energy. It's going to look like the game's going to go under and you'll fade down the stretch. And that's exactly what happened. Um, You know, they came pretty close, but, you know, it wasn't right there. So under 227, that one cashed. A lot of times, you know, coming out of an all-star break or first games of the season or, you know, coming off a long, you know, stretch, you can kind of anticipate that there's going to be a lull, especially for the bench players. Um, You know, we know that star players are able to kind of produce at any time. We've seen that a lot of the time, but we know that role players really struggle on the road and in a lot of situations like when they're cold, when they haven't played lately. We see that a lot. So this one felt really good. And even though it looked like it was trending toward the over, it ended up going under. So Spurs, Mavs, over 227. So that puts me at 3-1 and one on this pick thread. Um, tonight, I've got Warriors, Clippers, under 230. Um, so that one, you know, I'm just, again, I'm kind of thinking the same thing. I know that... It's one of those things because you sit here and you want to be like, you took the under on the Warriors game. Like, what are you thinking? Like, you've got Steph Curry and a bunch of guys who can't play defense. And I understand that. But, you know, the Warriors are a lot about timing and the Clippers are really hit and miss. And the Clippers love to party. Let's be completely honest. Like, Paul George, Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, Kawhi Leonard, these dudes love the strip club. And I think they're coming in from Miami. And I just really don't expect a whole lot of 
you know, I don't expect a lot of like really efficient offense or defense in this game. And that's the thing with gambling is, you know, you want to sit here and rate teams based on who they are and what the talent is and this, that, and the other. But sometimes you have to actually literally look at the human element. Like I'm looking at two teams who are coming off of spending their time in strip clubs, eating chicken wings, like literally like they're in magic city. The wings at magic city are incredible. Like I'm, you know, I'm not even making that up. Like we know how much these dudes love all this stuff and like more power to them. I wish that I could, I wish that I could, I wish I was there, but the simple fact of the matter is that's probably not conducive to playing basketball the next day, unless you're James Harden. So, you know, I anticipate a little bit of down. We got it with the Spurs and Mavs. We'll see if we get it with the Warriors and Clippers today. So, again, Warriors, Clippers under 230. I don't know how that line has moved at all. Um, but, um, you know, that's where it was was when I took it. My biggest thing this season has been that um, it's really been difficult to actually peg the over-unders. And not only for me, but actually for Vegas. Because you would see nights like a month and a half ago where... They would have their lines and like nine of 10 games would go under and they were just missing that much. So it's definitely been difficult to peg the overs and unders this year. Um, spreads have been a little easier to peg in some ways just because it's kind of coming down to the talent, especially given teams who are dealing with COVID and contract tracing and, you know, constantly missing guys and things like that. So, um, you know, for the most part, I've avoided a lot of over under or at least tried to. But in this case, I think given everything that's going on and coming off a, you know, partying weekend where guys are enjoying themselves, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I'm more willing to take the under. I'm not that interested in taking the over because I think guys are going to run out of gas as the game goes on. I know that people are less inclined to play defense, but if you're settling for jumpers and you're not hitting because you're tired, well, there you go. One thing I find interesting outside of the gambling sphere, I don't know who has seen this, but it is called the Overtime Elite Basketball League. And it is essentially paying teenagers to play basketball. So, I mean, we're very well aware of the fact that kids who are 14, 15, 16 are, you know, being recruited for colleges and in some cases being recruited for the NBA at this point. They're playing on AAU teams. They're doing all these things. Well, you know, the Overtime Elite League essentially looks to take kids who are of working age, I think it's 16 years and older, uh, and pay them like a $100,000 salary, give them dental and all these things essentially to play basketball, help them showcase and help them prepare for life in the NBA. And this is a phenomenal idea because we simply have to stop pretending that life for all of these kids is exactly the same. Because what occurs is these kids get in AAU And the school doesn't train them. They don't make them take classes. They don't do any of these things. They just want them to go to their school to help promote their school. And so they just give the kids A's and all these things. And you can't do that. We need to help educate these kids. We need to help educate them about life. And also, quite frankly, if they're earning money for the schools or the profit-earning entities behind them, they need to be earning money for that. I've long advocated that college players should be able to sell their likeness. I'm not saying colleges should pay players like free agency, but I'm saying that if you're a college player who's a superstar, you should be able to sell your jersey. You should be able to do car ads. You should be able to do things. Why is your coach allowed to earn money and you're not? It makes no sense. It makes literally no sense. So the fact that we're allowing 16-year-olds to do this, it makes perfect sense. Like, here's the thing. Some of these kids who are 16 are worth that $100,000 salary because they're going to go make $100 million in the NBA. These days, they're going to make $300, 400000000 So 
simple fact of the matter is they should be earning that money. You know, I know that some people will balk at the idea of teenagers earning $100,000, and I understand those sorts of things, but the simple fact of the matter is that people are earning money off of them. Like, if you're a college or pre-college superstar, like you're playing on an AAU team, and you're, you know, you're out there doing your thing, and you're winning games, people are making money from you. Why should you not be able to capitalize on that? It makes literally no sense. But somehow, we have created this idea in this country of amateurism. Do you know who created amateurism? The NCAA. Do you know what the NCAA is? It's a fake body that colleges don't have to listen to that they do for some reason. The National Collegiate Athletic Association is not a government-sanctioned body. They were not created by the U.S. government. They have nothing to do with anything. And yet somehow all the colleges in this country follow all of their rules. (laughs) And all of their rules simply exist to create 100% profit off the backs of college athletes who make no money. Football players in college literally risk their health. They literally risk their lives. So their colleges can make billions of dollars and they can make nothing. And it's wrong. And this is the first step in eliminating that. Because now that we've created this for the NBA, someone will create it for football. Football may not exist 40 to 50 years from now because of how brutal the sport is. But someone will create this sort of league where they're playing young, you know, football prep prospects to play football. And, you know, worry less about education of classes that don't matter. I'm really sorry. But geometry and ancient history don't really matter when you're going to be a professional athlete, but knowing how to manage your finances do. That stuff does matter. And so we need to focus on actually educating kids on the things that matter. Like, have you ever considered how how little school actually prepared you for the world? Like, did you learn anything about taxes in school? And if you did, congratulations, you're younger than me and school has been fixed. Since I went there, we didn't actually learn anything about real life. When I went to school, we only learned about fictional nonsense that might theoretically affect us. If we ever became an architect, well, you better learn geometry. What if you're designing houses? Well, you better learn biology. What if you're a biologist? What about like paying bills? What about like paying taxes? What about like how buying a house works? Mightn't those things be interesting or necessary to learn in life, but somehow we don't learn any of those things in school. I'm on a tangent again, but nonetheless, the point is that we should be allowing these kids, whether they're in college or in this overtime elite league, no matter what it is, they should be able to profit from their own skills. It should not just be rich white men who profit off of this. It should not just be the 1% who are able to fund organizations in schools that allow them to make all this money back. It shouldn't be that way at all. Anyone who has a talent or a skill should be able to sell that to the highest bidder. This is why there should be no sports drafts. There should be no max contracts. I understand the salary cap. Salary caps allow all teams to compete fairly. I'm fine with the salary cap. But, you know, there should be no draft. Teams should just be able to offer incoming players the most money. And whoever the player chooses, that's where they should go. You know, again, I understand salary caps. You don't want a situation where... One team who has the richest owner can buy all the players. I get that. But if you have to allocate your money smartly because you have a salary cap, but there's no way for players to have their money capped in any way, well, that's how the NFL works. And that's really how the NBA should work, if we're being honest. 
So let's create a way that every young player is able to get paid what they are worth. Look at the way that baseball treats young players. They're, it takes them so many years to reach free agency and they can have their seasons of you know service time controlled and manipulated by the organizations. It's complete and total bullshit and it shouldn't be tolerated and we need to fix those things. And we're simply coming up with new ways to change the game and change sports and this overtime elite league is one of them and I'm all for it. And now finally... Just a few free agency contract player type notes. Blake Griffin has obviously been bought out from the Pistons and signed with the Nets. And everyone on Pistons Twitter is essentially like, well, Blake Griffin can't give the Nets anything. Have you watched Blake Griffin this season? Blah, blah, blah. And I understand what those people are saying from the perspective of, you know, Blake looks hurt. He looks washed. He looks broken down. But I think that all of those people are forgetting how little some players try when they're on one of these taking situations. And a friend of mine, I'm not going to say him because I'm not trying to call anyone out, asked me, well, he asked his Twitter friends, what is the reason for assuming that, you know, Blake Griffin might succeed with Brooklyn? And I said, well, Nick Batum, let's take a look at what he did in Charlotte versus what he's doing with the Clippers now. And, you know, he listed a whole bunch of reasons that that's not true. And I understand where he's coming from. But I think that people are truly ignoring the idea that Blake Griffin really wasn't trying for a team that really wasn't trying for him. And I'm not saying that his first five games will be perfect or he's in in 100% of health right now, but how dedicated are you to rehab when you're going to win six games? How dedicated are you to rehab when you're getting triple teamed and you have to shoot 35 feet from the hoop all the time? Like, just truthfully, Detroit is terrible. And as much as no one in their fan base wants to acknowledge they're terrible, they're terrible. And he didn't want to try for that team. And I'm not trying to say that Blake Griffin is going to play 35 minutes a game and dominate and be Blake Griffin again. But I'm saying, like, you're going to tell me that dude's passing can't help you in five-minute rotations? You're going to tell me that Blake Griffin's IQ doesn't help you on the bench as a veteran? You're going to tell me that Blake Griffin doesn't have the ability to have a turn back the clock night here and there where he throws down a couple of dunks and blocks a couple of shots and plays some decent defense. He has all of those abilities. So for all the people who are doubting it, you know, I think that people are thinking we think that Blake Griffin's going to be a superstar again. No one thinks that. I don't think that at all. I think that Blake Griffin's superstar days are behind him. But Vince Carter's superstar days were behind him, and he was a phenomenal role player for, like, almost a decade after that. And that's really sort of the point, is that, like, why is everyone assuming that Blake Griffin can't be a valuable role player? Well, he doesn't have his athleticism anymore. Well, there are plenty of bigs in the NBA who have little to no athleticism who are still valuable role players. I just don't understand the idea that Blake Griffin can't contribute at all. No one is expecting him to be Blake fucking Griffin. No one's expecting him to do what he once did. But you're going to tell me that his ability to pass and run an offense from the center position isn't useful against backup defenses? Fucking of course it is. I know that he can't play the defense that he once did, and I know that we know that the Nets need a rim protector, but... You're trying to tell me that a guy who's one of the smartest passers in the NBA isn't valuable against scrubs? Of course he is. Even in the playoffs, teams are forced to play guys they don't want to play. And if you're going to tell me that Blake Griffin's ability to run an offense from the five 
isn't going to help you fuck with some other teams who aren't ready for that. I think that you don't understand advanced basketball. And I think that that's what it boils down to, is that anyone who is sitting here saying, well, you're expecting Blake Griffin to be a star, you literally don't understand what we're talking about. The man can pass, he can do, he does all the crafty, necessary veteran things, and he's going to try harder for a team that's competing for a title. That's just true. It happens a lot. And I think that, you know, the sort of aging veteran comparisons, a lot of football comparisons get thrown out. Those aren't the same. There are a lot of guys who aged into being a role player in basketball, and I just think Blake Griffin can do that. The man was all NBA two years ago. He was like the third best player in the league in 2015. He's still only 31. Like, you're telling me he has nothing left? I just don't buy that. And I understand Pistons fans are upset about the situation and all those things, but, you know, your GM turned the team over. And instead of giving Blake the trade that he wanted or the release that he wanted, he made him play half the season with a bunch of dudes who some of them don't belong in the league. Jeremy Grant has been a phenomenal surprise, but, you know, just stop trying to sell me on how Blake Griffin did the team wrong. I just, just, just stop. Just stop that nonsense. And honestly, I hope for the best for Blake. I hope for really good things. And I think that he can matter to to the Nets in a playoff series. I don't think that he can necessarily stop Joel Embiid. And I still think that the 76ers are going to beat the Nets. I've, I've been on record that these finals... I'm on record on Dunks and Discourse, which is Jabari and Josh's podcast, my friends. I'm on record on their podcast that I picked Lakers over 76ers and 7. I don't know what's up with Anthony Davis right now. I'm honestly starting to pencil my sons in a little farther than people would think. I think the Western Conference is a little more in flux than people would think. And I, I don't root for injuries. I hate injuries. I love what Anthony Davis did last season. He went to another level for the Lakers. I'm not trying to criticize that at all. I would never root for injuries, but we don't know what Anthony Davis's status is, and the Lakers have been bad without him. So that certainly could portend problems for them in the playoffs. I'm not rooting for anything. I'm just saying that every one of us who picked the Lakers is a lock to win the title before the season. I think there's a little bit of, right now, there's a little bit of hesitation. Now, maybe Anthony Davis comes back and he's just Anthony fucking Davis and he's perfect and it doesn't matter and he's the man he was last year and then who cares? And then in that case, it doesn't make any difference, but, you know, these are the things that matter at this point. Switching to the NFL, a couple of notes. Ben Roethlisberger re-signs with the Steelers, takes a pay cut because they had essentially a $40 million cap hold for him this season. And nobody in the world would pay Ben Roethlisberger $40 million. But I'm just kind of curious why. Like, here's the thing. The Steelers started 11-0 and everyone was like, yeah, but it's a fake 11-0. They're not real. And then they faded down the stretch and everyone was like, well, Big Ben is hurt. And maybe that's true. But like, when is the last season he completed, you know, 16 healthy games. When was he, you know, like, yeah, they were 11 and 0 last year, but against a soft schedule and they won a lot of close games. So their luck was good, but you know, maybe not sustainable. And he fell apart down the stretch. Like he has in every year for the last few years. Like, what is the point of bringing him back? Like maybe you don't get a quarterback this year, but I mean, you're kind of just, delaying the inevitable aren't you like does anyone think the Steelers are going to win the title next year they're not 
like Tampa Bay is going to be at the top of the list. That's my Buccaneers, Tom Brady, forever. We're going to see Buffalo at the top of the list, right? Buffalo, we know they're doing really well. Um, you know, we're going to see a lot of a lot of teams listed in the mix for the Super Bowl, and the Steelers are not one of them. So, I mean, I, I guess some people might think they're going to be in the mix, but we, I think we all agree. Last year's start was <laughs> they got waxed in the playoffs. I, I don't know. Anyway, the Steelers are going to do what they're going to do, but I've never been a Big Ben fan, and I think that he has really, you know, he's got a couple of Super Bowl wins, and that matters. And but I think that Big Ben sort of gets put into you know, a category he shouldn't be because it's one of those things. It's like, he has two Super Bowl wins. So people are like, well, he's better than Aaron Rodgers, who only has one Super Bowl win. But like, you'd be fucking ludicrous to choose Ben Roethlisberger over Aaron Rodgers. Like it would, no one, no one, maybe people in Pittsburgh, but nobody would choose Ben Roethlisberger over Aaron Rodgers. So there are certain scenarios where, you know, wins mean more about the team than necessarily the player. And I just don't really understand why the Steelers wanted to continue this, but it's their choice, so it is what it is. The Dak Prescott extension for the Cowboys, I'm honestly really happy for Dak. Um, When Dak was originally injured, a lot of people tried to tell me how his injury was going to hurt his ability to, you know, sign a long extension and get all of his guaranteed money. And I told all those people, like, you don't fucking know what you're talking about because if Dak doesn't get the money from Dallas, then there's going to be a lot of other teams that are going to come and deliver that same exact money, if not more, because that's just how it works in this league. When you are a top quarterback, a top quarterback, free agent, whatever it is, you are going to get the money. And I just told everyone, like, this is not going to hurt him because if Dallas won't give it to him, the Giants will. Because the Giants, like, are they committed to Daniel Jones? Maybe, maybe not. But you're going to tell me that the Giants wouldn't love to fucking steal Dak Prescott from the Cowboys? Absolutely, they would. You're going to tell me that Washington wouldn't look at that? I don't care that they gave Taylor Heineke an extension. That's not real. So, you know, just, you know, don't, don't give me that. You know, so... You know, Dallas signs the extension and Dak gets one of the largest guarantees ever. And, you know, they kind of bridge the gap because Dak originally sort of, I think, wanted three years and Dallas wanted five years and they ended up on four years. Dak gets a massive guarantee. You know, he gets his $40 million a year salary. The man, the man lost nothing. He lost nothing. And listen, I am all for every NFL player taking as much money from their billionaire managing partner as they possibly can it does stand to reason it does i you know look at what tampa bay did last year tom brady took a pay cut i know i'm a tom brady homer i know i'm a tom brady i know i know yes you all know that about me but it does stand to reason that tom brady has repeatedly taken pay cuts and he's won seven super bowls those things do matter now you might say hey his wife is the richest supermodel ever so it's easy for him to take pay cuts fair enough his wife is the richest supermodel ever. But if you were the best quarterback of all time, maybe you'd have the richest supermodel ever. So whatever. Suck a dick. My point is, anyone who would sit there and say, well, I could never take a pay cut from 35 to 25 to help my team because I need blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, again, Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl wins and he's only been the highest paid quarterback in the league one time. And that was during the NFL lockout when it wasn't even clear that the NFL was going to have a season. And Tom Brady has repeatedly been in, you know, the 
contention for the Super Bowl because he gives back money to help build his team and everyone will hate him. But that's what it is. So in this scenario where you see Dak take as much money as he can, he absolutely should. Fuck Jerry Jones. But, you know, does that necessarily help the Cowboys win a Super Bowl? It helps you win a Super Bowl to have an elite quarterback. You can't win in this league in this day and age without a real quarterback. You simply can't. Um, You know, I, I know that we've seen plenty of Super Bowl teams that have won because of an elite defense and an average quarterback. Those those years are really gone. You look at the guys who have won Super Bowls in recent years. You look at the defenses that have won Super Bowls in recent years. And, you know, the the days of the garbage quarterback making their way all the way through because of really good defensive line play, that stuff is gone. You know, look at who's playing for the Super Bowl now. You've got Patrick Mahomes going to back-to-back. You know, Tom Brady's in it all the time. Aaron Rodgers is playing for it. Um you know, you're just you're not seeing a whole lot of mid-range nobody starters. I know that Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl a couple years ago, but the Rams have been garbage since then. And that's sort of the point that you need to have that level of quarterback in order to have that level of success. And so I understand why the Cowboys would play Dak Prescott. You have to. But you know, it, it's if you don't win a Super Bowl on this contract, is it worth it? And I think that's the thing. Like, Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl on his rookie contract. And he has been highly paid since then. And the Seahawks have been good, not great. Aaron Rodgers didn't win a Super Bowl on his rookie contract, but he won a Super Bowl on his second contract. And then, since then, he's been, like, one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league, and he's never won a Super Bowl. Tom Brady has consistently taken pay cuts, and he's won. And the simple fact of the matter is that, you know, the NFL is not like the NBA. You can't have the most talented player and sort of overcome everything else. You have to have a roster from 1 to 53. And I think sometimes these quarterbacks don't think about that. So we'll see about how that goes with Dak. An extension I'm really happy about, not a quarterback extension, but just happy. Levante David, two years with the Bucks. One thing that this extension does, it has three voidable years on the end. So it lowers his cap number this year, but that's going to create dead money for Tampa Bay. The interesting thing coming into this season about Tampa Bay, and you can go back, you can listen to my other podcasts. I said this over and fucking over. So I am vindicated on this shit. I said the reason that Tom Brady chose Tampa Bay was not just for how great the receivers were, but because the defense was phenomenal and they had no dead money on the cap. Tampa Bay coming into this season had literally $30,000 of dead money. Your average team has 10 to 15 million of dead money. Jason Light had $30,000 of dead money as a GM. And you're going to tell me that doesn't impress Tom Brady, who's as detail-oriented as they come? Fucking of course it did. So on top of all of that, now they're doing everything they can to re-sign guys. Levante David, three voidable years at the end, that's going to create dead money. If they're able to sign Godwin to an extension, there'll be dead money. The Bucks are now saying, we're going to take on all the dead money because we want to win as many Super Bowls as we can over the next three years. Tom Brady is 43 years old, heading into his age 44 season. He's the best of all time. There's no question. I don't want to hear any discussion. I'm perfectly fine with Tom Brady being a villain. It is absolutely fun for him to be a villain. I don't care about people who hate him because of he's winning, but I don't want to hear anyone try to tell me he's not good. <laughs> he's won seven Super Bowls. Stop. Just anyone who tries to tell me he's not good at what he does, shut the fuck up. You're ignorant. I don't want to hear it. 
If you want to tell me you hate him because he's the villain of whatever, phenomenal. Villains are fun. We need them in sports. And I absolutely understand it. And if you're on Tampa Bay's side of those things, bringing back the best linebacker in the history of your franchise, yeah, no, I would say so. Levante David, to pair with Devin White, you franchise Chris Godwin. If you can get Mike Evans to take a pay cut, maybe you can bring back Antonio Brown. Leonard Fournette is probably gone, but Ronald Jones should be healthy. Tampa Bay is completely in position to win another Super Bowl. And do you know what one of the biggest moves they're going to make this offseason to make that happen? Is Tom Brady is going to restructure his pay, his contract and take some sort of pay cut. He'll get some sort of guaranteed money advanced to him, but they'll, they will find a way to lower a number and restructure this and that and the other, and he'll get his money one way or the other. But Tom Brady has consistently taken pay cuts and consistently helped his team. And now Levante David has done the same thing. And anyone who doesn't understand Tampa Bay is ready to repeat. I don't know what to say. I came into this season. I tried to tell everyone. Everyone was like, well, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, Tom Brady, and he got Gronk, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was Tampa Bay's defense. I told everyone it was the defense. And nobody would listen to me. And whatever. They won the fucking Super Bowl. So it's fine. You don't want to listen to me. Then you do that your own peril. Because I know this game inside and out, and I watch this team, and I watch this man choose the correct team, the team that I begged him to choose. I didn't want him to leave New England, but if he was going to, I wanted him to go to Tampa Bay, and he did. And that's where we are. With Levante David resigning, Tampa Bay is ready. You've got Antoine Winfield. You've got Devin White. Again, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. You've got all the players. It's We know that Gronk isn't going anywhere. Gronk would never play with anyone other than Tom Brady. So it's a good year to be a Tampa Bay fan. And I'm excited about this extension. I would have been really upset if Levante David had been playing somewhere else. I really hope they can find a way to bring back Shaq Barrett. I worry about that one. We've all worried about that one. We were all really worried about Chris Godwin, but they franchised him. Fair enough. But Shaq Barrett is the one dude who he's so good. He deserves the money. He can get more money elsewhere. It's going to be up to him if he wants to take a slight discount to play in Tampa Bay. He's a phenomenal player. He shouldn't have to. He's a great player. He deserves to get all the money. It's just up to him. You know, again, this is what the salary cap does. If you want to get all the money, you go elsewhere. If you want to take a little less money and maybe have a chance at a second and maybe third ring, you come back home to Tampa Bay. That's what it is. And then finally, two contract extension things I wanted to think about. And that is Lamar Jackson with the Baltimore Ravens and Josh Allen with the Bills. Now, the funny thing is, coming into the league, I would have been all over Lamar Jackson and I would have thrown Josh Allen away. (laughs) I loved Lamar Jackson as a prospect and I hated Josh Allen as a prospect. So it's interesting to see that that is sort of flipped. Lamar was really good to start. He won an MVP and he's been good. Uh, Josh Allen was in the MVP discussion this season. You know, I see a lot of things about extensions for both of them. They both have their fifth-year options. They're going to be picked up, obviously. They're both making $23.1 million, as they should. Both very good players. I just don't know if I want to give these dudes huge money contracts, either of them. And here's my thinking. Look at what both... Baltimore and Buffalo have done with quarterbacks on their rookie deals. 
If you can find a functional quarterback on a rookie deal, you can compete for a Super Bowl. See, I don't want a Super Bowl that way. And I understand that, you know, the idea is, well, no, we want to find the franchise guy. We want to find the guy who's going to sign the long-term extension. I understand all of that. But the long-term extension guys are Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson and Dak Prescott. And, you know, I mean, Russell Wilson has an extension or he has a Super Bowl, but it was on his rookie contract before his extension. There aren't a whole lot of guys who win Super Bowls on their biggest contracts. Aaron Rodgers won his only Super Bowl before his biggest contract. Ben Roethlisberger won one Super Bowl on his rookie contract and won another one after his first extension. So there's that. But a lot of guys don't win Super Bowls on their biggest contracts. Peyton Manning, maybe he did. Maybe he's the exception. You know, there are scenarios. But, you know, then again, Philip Rivers had signed the biggest deal ever with one of his extensions, and he never won one anyway. As important as the quarterback position is, the difference between elite and good is so important that you might as well ignore it when it comes to the difference between above average and good. Because you could win with an above average quarterback if you had all the defenses behind you. Now, I know I said earlier in this episode, the years of winning with garbage quarterbacks are over. But, like, are we signing Jimmy Garoppolo to long-term extensions? This is sort of my point, is like, the days of winning with garbage quarterbacks are over, and that includes overpaying garbage quarterbacks. Because we've kind of done this, where, well, you're just a dude, so you should just get an extension. And you should just get the biggest extension because you're the newest starting quarterback in the league. And that's why Jared Goff gets the biggest extension ever. And that's why Carson Wentz gets the biggest extension ever because you just, you're the newest, youngest dude. And this is my point. Like, you can't just win with anyone just because you slap a big contract or slap a big name on them. Like, you've either got to find a good quarterback on a rookie deal. Or you've got to find the best quarterback who's willing to take an appropriate deal. Pat Mahomes got the biggest deal ever after winning the Super Bowl, and then the Chiefs didn't have enough money to replace the tackles they lost, and they just cut both of them. So the Chiefs just lost the Super Bowl because they had no offensive tackles, and now they just cut both of those dudes in the offseason. Does that bode well for Kansas City? I don't know. Maybe they'll find two offensive tackles on rookie contracts and things will be fixed. But the key is, regardless of whether you're talking about bad contracts, good contracts, whatever, to sum it all up, to bring it all together in a satisfying loop, you can't overpay guys simply because they've been decent. And you can't live with anyone playing quarterback simply because they play the position. You have to find a good quarterback on a rookie deal and then let him go and try to find another one. Or you've got to find a guy who can outperform his dollar amount. Because when you pay top dollar, things don't go your way. And when you try to pay nothing, (laughs) things don't go your way. It is an impossible position to figure out. And that's why Tom's the best of all time. 
And so when I look at Baltimore and I look at Buffalo and I look at Lamar and I look at Josh and I look at those extensions, good fucking luck. Because you're really going to tell me that Josh Allen on a five-year extension at $200 million or $210 million with $150 million guaranteed isn't a risk. <laughs> like, come on. And here's the thing. If you're Lamar Jackson, you have an MVP. You can't take less money than Josh Allen gets. And if you're the Ravens, you're really going to pay Lamar Jackson $45 million a year to run the ball? <laughs> you can't win this game. And that's why Tom Brady continues to just fuck everything up because he'll take a cut to bring in other guys and other guys will take a cut to be around him and it just when you're the best you're the best and I look at all these extensions and I feel for the Ravens and I feel for Baltimore and I just think if I'm both of those teams someone's gonna give me two first round picks for Josh Allen and someone's gonna give me two first round picks for Lamar Jackson it's not that I don't love and respect those dudes but unless you have the best, unless you have the literal absolute best, why are you paying the money? We've learned this over and over and over. You can win with a rookie on a rookie deal when they're not the best because you can pay everyone else. And then when it comes time to pay them, if they're not the best, why? And that is a circular ass fucking blunt doctor show on a Thursday. A long ass one after my long ass gap from the last one. Don't forget, care about everyone around you. Be the rock in everyone's life that you can. Love those around you. Take everything to the next level. Because keeping it real is all about taking it to the next level. Did you really not know that? Phil Dunphy, straight up modern family joke. Anyway, point is, <laughs> I love everyone who participates in listening to this. I love everyone who participates in helping me craft this. Be the best person that you can. Have the best 2021 that you can. And have the best 2022 that you can. Conquer your fears. And that is the show. <laughs>